This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. It is 6.08. So let's start by, I think, just listening to a little bit of a clip that explains how we landed at this story. So on yesterday morning's Breakfast Grill, our colleague Wang Xiaoning spoke to British Council Chief Executive Scott MacDonald and asked whether it's fair for native English speakers to argue that the IELTS test is a money-making assessment. Um, This was his response. I don't think it's a bad argument. I think countries that speak a lot of English and and good English should be making an argument over time to immigration authorities and universities Mm -hmm. that they shouldn't have to write the exams. And if those authorities don't want the exams anymore, we, of course, wouldn't administer them. As long as people want them, I think there's a role for people to actually administer them. That was British Council Chief Executive Scott MacDonald. And uh, that had us thinking about something that we hadn't thought about in a little while, actually, Mm. because we haven't, I don't know about you, I haven't had to take um, any of this for a little, for for a hot minute. So the IELTS or things like the TOEFL, in other words, tests that have to be taken or that you're asked to take either by universities, um, sometimes by jobs, especially uh, jobs at international companies and Yeah, and the cost of taking them and whether or not we should be allowed to bypass because for some Malaysians, um, we are native English speakers. So I think starting with the costs might actually paint a picture, right? Uh, The regular IELTS costs 835 ringgit at the moment. The IELTS for UK visas and immigration costs 935. Meanwhile, the TOEFL costs 871. That's, of course, dependent on the uh, exchange rate or 195 US dollars. So If we look at what these are usually used for, now the IELTS or the International English English Language Testing System, here I am talking about proficiency. Well, they're not testing whether you can say It's not a pronunciation test. Exactly. Right. (laughs) So it's a test of English language proficiency um, and it's required to be taken by international candidates that may be considering studying or working in a country where English is the main language of communication. It covers listening, reading, writing and speaking in English. Usually, it's the most popular test for those who are looking to migrate to Australia, Canada, New Zealand and the UK. Um, IELTS scores can also be used to apply to educational institutions around the world. Uh, Multinational companies might also require you to take an IELTS from time to time. Immigration authorities in those countries, of course, will also require IELTS scores. TOEFL is very similar. It's just US-based. It's administered by the Education Test Service, um, and it's used to measure English proficiency in non-native speakers who wish to enroll in English-speaking universities, uh, largely within within North America. It's accepted by uh, more than 11,000 universities and other institutions in over 190 countries. It's worth saying Mm. that for both these tests, the validity is only two years. Yes. So in other words, and also if you look at the actual practice of taking these tests, right, they are required for, uh, as we said earlier, any number of things. But very often you've got to pay to take the test first and then you use it to apply for whatever it is you're applying for. Regardless of whether that ends up happening or not. Correct. So you may not, in fact, get accepted into that university or or into that job, but you're still out more than 800 ringgit uh, because you took either the IELTS or the TOEFL. um, And then if you don't make use of that within the two years, you've got to do it all over again. So 
all of that um, paints a picture, I think, about what the use of these tests are, but they don't necessarily help us understand um, where we are in relation to this. Because the argument here is that if if Malaysia or Malaysians can be considered native speakers of English, um, and, and many of us are, by and large, um, then why do we still have to take these tests? Which then opens up the other question of the standard of English proficiency in our country and whether the fact that we speak English, uh, does that necessarily mean that we hold a standard of English that's high enough to be able to operate, um, to take, for example, a master's or to apply for a people-facing job like nursing? There are a number of layers here to unpack, right? On the one hand, a lot of people argue that these tests are inherently exclusionary, that they're often administered from a very Western slash colonial point of view, uh, that this idea of native versus non-native speaker is in itself quite discriminatory. So there's that. Then, of course, the problem comes about um, when you look at the way in which they're often applied, which is quite blanket across the board. So even if you're from a country like Malaysia, often even if you've done your degree or your master's in educational institutions where English is the language of instruction, you might still find yourself having to take the IELTS or having to take the TOEFL, um, even though you have a degree to prove that you could function in that language. So there is that, right? So on the one hand, even if you make the argument that we may not meet the native speaker level across the board in Malaysia, the fact that everyone is treated with the same, uh, everyone is treated as if their language proficiency is exactly the same is a problem. So we want to know, um, have you ever had to take the IELTS or TOEFL? And overall, what do you think of the standard of English in Malaysia? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send a voice note to 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. After this, we're going to be joined by Dr. Amir Rashad Mustafa, who's a researcher at the Faculty of Languages and Linguistics at University of Malaya. Keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9. Bruce Freddie Morrissey, BFM 89.9. It is 6.15 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. Uh, we're talking tonight about well, sort of. We're talking about tests like IELTS and TOEFL and we're doing that because yesterday on the Breakfast Grill, the uh, British Council Chief Executive basically said that it, it's fair for native English speakers um, to argue that if the standard of English in the country is high enough that maybe we don't need it for immigration purposes, for higher education purposes, and that therefore it's sort of a money-making tool um, even. And that had us thinking about Malaysia and whether we qualify as native speakers of English. And so we're asking you, um, have you ever had to take the IELTS or TOEFL or, or a test like that, I guess? And what do you think of the standard of English in Malaysia? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Speaking with us now, we have Dr. Amir Rashad Mustafa, researcher at the Faculty of Languages and Linguistics at University of Malaya. Amir, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So what is your stance on these exams being used as a marker for English proficiency when it comes to working or studying in English-speaking nations? Um, well, uh, there are certain standards that need to be met. Otherwise, any Tom, Dick and Harry will be able to work and uh, study in these countries without the requisite ability to communicate with locals and such. 
However, this isn't to say that you need English to be able to excel in your studies or work because um, language proficiency doesn't absolutely entail high intelligence. But um, more importantly, without such standards, I think that uh, you, you, you can question how can you ensure that these people will be able to work and study efficiently? Um, the language of instruction there is English, the same way the language of instruction there, uh, I mean, in Japan is Japanese. So um, you can say that there's a certain language, a certain level of proficiency that must be achieved by the prospective student or the person who wants to work in such a English country, uh, English speaking country to enable them to do um, whatever they're trying to do comfortably and effectively. Um, well, even in Malaysia, certain universities have requirements that foreigners have at least an elementary level of Malay. Um, so uh, despite the widespread use of English in the country, this has to do with um, perhaps the efforts of uh, the efforts by the government to uphold the Malay language, which is perhaps a, a similar effort by all the English speaking nations as well. So, you know how proud they are of English being the lingua franca. So, like I said, there needs to be a certain standard that needs to be met. Yeah. Specifically, um, a fair amount of the criticism or dissatisfaction, I should say, comes from the fact that there is a validity period for the test scores. What do you make of that? Yes, um, this is something that's really controversial because I think it's absurd to put a validity period on your ability to speak a language, especially if it's just two years, right? Because two years is too short. I'd be more accepting of it if it were like um, eight, ten years or something like that, given that language attrition is a thing, right? However, two years is too short for you to have forgotten how to speak in a language. Um, there might be things that you might have forgotten in two years, but it's, I don't think it's enough for you to lose the language completely. Uh, for example, grammatical structures are really difficult for you to forget because they get internalized if we think about it, and then they become tacit knowledge. So you don't really need to think about using the language in order for you to actually use language, especially when we're talking about grammatical structures. Um, however, you're more likely to forget, forget some vocab but not the grammar. So I think, yeah, I think that two years is um, an absurd validity period if we're talking of the IELTS test. Many Malaysians, I think, will have been tested on um, our English, whether it's at basically any of our major exams um, and beyond, all the way through to tertiary education. Why aren't these tests considered equivalent to the IELTS or TOEFL or, or you know, their equivalent? Um, that's simply because IELTS and TOEFL are branded as international examinations. With um, such a brand, there is more standardization, for example, and even more rigorous efforts to improve the test, such as the test items, the, the assessment criteria, and so on. Um, the lesser known tests in Malaysia specifically cater to Malaysians and the Malaysian context, so they're much more um, variable, especially non-standard tests. However, we do have uh, MOE, which is the um, Malaysian University Entry uh, English Test, if I'm not mistaken, that's the acronym, right? And it has become a, a kind of standard test in Malaysia because um, people nationwide use it. So perhaps in the future, we could use it in lieu of the international tests, such as IELTS and TOEFL. But of course, that will require a lot more effort on the Malaysian side, um, testing on the other side and, of course, a collaboration between Malaysia and the, the other English-speaking countries um, in terms of, you know, 
developing the test and such. So we had British Council Chief Executive Scott McDonald on our station recently, and he pointed out uh, that it's fair for native English speakers to argue that the IELTS test uh, could be a money-making assessment. How would you respond to this? Uh, mm, money-making. Yeah, I, I actually do agree with that because um, with the fees going up yearly and the two-year validity, IELTS truly is raking in the money. I think in 2014, I paid for the test. Um, how much was it? I think it was 600 ringgit or so. But if I'm not mistaken, nowadays it's about 800. So there's kind of like 40 or 50 ringgit year. Uh, I mean, uh, a 40 or 50 ringgit uh, increase yearly. So um, there is no doubt about it that the, the people doing IELTS, I mean, the people who are um, in charge of the, the international tests, they're raking in a lot of money. So I really can't say anything more about it other than the fact that it's uh, a lucrative business. I'd like to look at the phrase native English speaker. How exactly do we define what a native speaker is? What criteria would we be looking for? Well, if we're looking at the IELTS test, uh, according to the IELTS speaking test rubric specifically, there are um, specifically four descriptors that evaluate the level of a person's proficiency. First, there's fluency and coherence. Second, there's lexical resource. Third, grammatical range and accuracy. And lastly, pronunciation. However, uh, that's talking about the proficiency level of the, of the person. We're not really talking about the label native English speaker. The label native English speaker is more than just those descriptors because it's a, a um, rather technical term in linguistics, uh, as it were. So you can have exceptionally high proficiency in the language and not be a native speaker, Although you can have what's called native language or native level proficiency. So the, the label native, native English speaker presupposes that you acquired the language as your first language. Um, so you must also take into consideration where you acquired it. Um, so questions you could ask would be uh, questions such as, did you acquire it as you lived in an English speaking country? Did you acquire it from your parents? So if so, are your parents themselves native speakers? If your parents are just mm, really fluent in the language, but not native speakers themselves, so meaning that they didn't acquire the language as their first language, um, you, can you even consider yourself a native speaker? So there might be a, um, a degree of inheritance to the label as well, if we look at it that way. It's really a, a, complex issue, a complex issue. Also, there's the issue of perception as well. You might not consider it your native language, even if it might well be. So for example, in my case, even though I acquired lang uh, English as I lived in the UK when I was growing up, growing up as a child, I don't really consider English my native language because that's, um, that's reserved for Malay. I'm proud of Malay being my native language. So I'd consider English my um, first language, but not necessarily my native language. So there are actually um, several nuanced issues that you need to consider when you're trying to think about the label native English speaker as, as opposed to um, native level um, proficiency. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought up being in Malaysia, because we are a multilingual country and a lot of us do speak English on a daily basis. Does that qualify us as native speakers? I actually don't think so. 
Um, the level of English language proficiency dictates whether you have native level proficiency, not the number of speakers in the country. As for the label native speaker, there is no other way for you to call yourself a native speaker unless you acquire the language as your first language. And um, even there, there are those uh, nuanced issues that I mentioned just now that need addressing. So if we look at our country then and compare it globally, where do we stand in terms of proficiency? In terms of proficiency globally, um, well, multiple credible sources um, say that Malaysia is a country with a really high proficiency uh, in terms of English language proficiency, right? So to cite uh, education first, if uh, you're familiar with it, on the 15th of November 2022, Malaysia ranks among the top three countries in Asia for proficiency in the English language. So you can say that Malaysia does have really high proficiency and we do have quite a high number of um, people who are really proficient in the language. So uh, I guess you could um, trust the statistics, although we're not 100% sure about you know the, the validity of the tests or whatever. So the thing that does come up, though, when we talk about the standard of English in the country is that it seems to be dipping. Would you agree with that? Um, why do you think that perception exists? Mm, well, mm, that actually depends on the location, uh, because there is a, I think there's a higher proportion of speakers who are very proficient in the language in um, areas such as the Klang Valley area, as compared to somewhere like in the interior, such as rural Pahang, for example. So looking at the country as a whole, I'm not completely sure about the statistics, but multiple credible sources say that Malaysia is a, high, is a country with a high level of proficiency. And um, like the one I said just now about education first, it says that Malaysia is among the top three countries in Asia with um, a high level of proficiency. So um, I assume it included students in Malaysia to the exclusion of um working adults, students who are not studying locally, and more people who might have high proficiency. If we're talking about other statistics that say that um, the proficiency of um, English speakers in Malaysia, well, the, the English language proficiency of people in Malaysia is dipping. So if that's the case, then um, yeah, we're not 100% sure about um, the, the group of people they're testing, because according to uh, other uh, statistics, it says that we have we're, we're among the top three, so there's some sort of contradiction there. So we need to look into that. We have just a minute left with you. Um, in closing, there is this perception that language proficiency is tied to intelligence or capability. Where does that come from, and how can it be addressed? Mm. So this has been uh, an ongoing debate, but I I personally think that there is actually no correlation between. Um, the languages you speak and intelligence. Uh, we need to um, we need studies to actually test that. And uh, if I'm not presented with um, an actual study that definitely correlates English language proficiency to in intelligence, I won't really be convinced. Um, well, you do become more learned with more languages in your repertoire, but learnedness doesn't equate to intelligence. For example, you have access to more materials in English. Uh, be it academic or not, and that allows you to learn a lot than just um, to have materials in a single language, especially considering that English is the lingua franca. 
Uh, right. So the more languages you speak, the greater access uh, to the materials and the more you learn. But the more you learn doesn't entail that you are more intelligent. Like people say, you can have a PhD and still lack common sense. So that's it. Ami, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Thank you so much for having me. That was Dr. Amir Rashad Mustafa, researcher at the Faculty of Languages and Linguistics at University Malaya, weighing in on English proficiency uh, in Malaysia, but also the role of tests like IELTS and TOEFL, which is the subject of our show today. We'd like to hear from you. Have you ever had to take the IELTS or TOEFL or um, another test that it's that is its equivalent? And what do you think of the standard of English in Malaysia? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note to 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. BFM 89.9, the business station. It is 6.38 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. So in case you missed it, here's what we're talking about today. Um, we're discussing IELTS and TOEFL. Uh, you may have heard of them. They're those sort of standardised international English tests that people often have to take when it comes to uh, placements in foreign universities and companies and the like. And we're talking about that uh, partly because yesterday we had uh, the British Council chief exec on um, and we asked the question about whether it's fair for native English speakers to argue that the IELTS test is a money-making assessment. And he essentially said that, yeah, you could make that argument. But then that in turn opens up the question of whether Malaysia Malaysians are in fact native speakers yeah. of English. So that in turn, I'm sorry, it's a twisty one. That in turn has led us to the question of English proficiency. So uh, we're asking, have you ever had to take the IELTS or TOEFL? And um, what do you think of the standard of English in Malaysia? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can also send us a voice note um, to zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. You can drop us a WhatsApp there as well. We do have some voice notes, but before we get there, let's look through the messages because they are just coming in. So Rajesh just says Malaysian English roja, um, and uh, I think that's something that a number of people are pointing out. Uh, Wendy meanwhile says took IELTS to study overseas, had to get at least a band of five. Um, the IELTS standard is higher for those taking language-related courses such as English, education in English, or literature, where you need at least a band six. I think it's fair to ask for a relative standard to ensure people can at least understand what's happening around them. Pretty sure Germany and other countries like Japan and China require a certain standard of the language before a foreigner studies or works in their country. Our standard of Queen's English is dying, while the other, while the Malaysian-flavoured English is definitely in full bloom. But hey, what language doesn't change? We have Englishes from around the world now, not just one English. By the way, I've seen many Malaysians struggle to understand English while studying or working when interacting with foreigners. So, just to clarify, Wendy, uh, to that point about Germany and Japan, um, we did have a quick look. Uh, so they also do require language proficiency certificates. But I think perhaps one of the key differences is that those don't expire mm. versus the TOEFL and the IELTS, which expire every two years. Uh, they expire. And in some situations, even you having a degree yes. um, and, and being able to prove that you have lived in a country in which English is a, a native tongue 
is not sufficient for you to avoid having to fork out that that amount again to take the test. So it's a few things there. Um, beyond that, I think that there are some interesting points. You know, that thing about Malaysians struggling to understand English um, while studying or working with foreigners is is so interesting, partly because I, I think, I, I'm not sure that it's fair, um, I'm actually not certain, Wendy, what you mean by struggle because I, I don't want to kind of colour your story. But in my experience, when I've seen this happen, it has a lot to do with uh, confidence. I think sometimes it's not that you can't understand. It's that you don't have the confidence to respond um, because maybe you just don't speak English an awful lot in your daily life. The other thing is, it's often, I think, Accent. I was going to say, um, I noticed this when I spent time in the US, for instance. Accents can vary so widely between state to state. Um, and it's often speed of speaking, accent. I mean, this is true of England as well. Mm. If, if you are in the UK, the variety of accents is so great from north to south and everywhere in between that you might especially if you grew up thinking that everybody sounded, um, to quote Wendy, like the Queen's English, then you might not be prepared for the, the sheer variety of accents. Or like some other people are bringing up, like the characters on Friends. Yes. So um, that's what Munif has to say. Who says, thanks to pop culture, um, even the average Malaysian has a general comprehension of English and enough exposure to communicate with it. I've been to some non-British European countries. I can confirm that you can easily find English fluent dudes at a pet store in Kanga, um, <laughs> more so than you would do at St. Marco's Grand Plaza in Venice. Uh, Shamil says, I had to sit for IELTS a few years ago to register for my master's program. I never really studied for it because I think our exposure to English on TV and daily life is enough, although we may need to improve the English syllabus at school. For instance, I never really learned about grammar until Form 4. All the while, we were only taught to memorise pra- paragraphs, karangan and so on. You know, honestly, some part of this is uh, just the fact that English grammar is wonky to begin with. As in, I think most most people would agree that the rules of English, such as they are, can be deeply, deeply confusing. And that sometimes native speakers or people for whom English is their first language don't even think that much about it because you kind of just accept um, that these are the rules and it's hard to verbalise. So learning grammar is kind of a, a completely different beast. I'm going to float a theory um, based on personal experience as well as what I've observed with other people. I think sometimes it's not even that we need to be taught grammar as in this is a past participle, this is a future tense. I think we need to improve our reading programs in schools because I think the best way to get used to um, language structure, syntax, grammar is to just read more and use it more. We don't have enough conversation classes. We don't have enough reading um, at an early level. And I think that's... That would fix a lot of these issues. I agree, especially when it comes to more complex sentences. Yes. Um, where, where you pass beyond the, the whole idea of subject-object and so on and so forth. Uh, we also have a voice note that's come in. This is from Samiha. Hi, hello. So I'm actually um, an Egyptian expat uh, living in Malaysia. And I did have the chance to go for uh, IELTS. In fact, there's another exam, which is PTE. Uh, Pearson um, teaching something I don't I, I I'm not quite sure but uh, like it's used as IELTS it's a computer based um, exam and the price is um, more or less same as IELTS. Uh, my actual problem with IELTS or PTE is that like 
um, you require specific scores in order to be able to, like I would say, eligible to apply to certain uh, jobs or immigration or whatsoever. So other than the validity of the exam, the other part is the scores. So like if you, for example, like missed a point, then you go from being uh, proficient to being like uh, the lower standard. It's quite interesting, especially even if I did study in English in university. So I think it's fair enough that, you know, in the future, um, if you studied in English in university, maybe rules are a little bit less. So thank you. Bye. Samiha, thanks so much for taking the time to share your experience. Uh, it, it's interesting. English in university, I think that one is the one that tends to sting quite a bit for people um, who learned, who did their entire degree in English to then come out into the world and then have to take IELTS again. Yes, and then to also have different standards, for instance, oh, but you did your degree in Australia. This doesn't apply in the US or you studied in the Because the language UK. is so different. Yes. Um, so I think it more than the fact that I don't think we're arguing here that a certain baseline level of proficiency is required um, for Possibly most of these reasons, whether you're migrating or whether it's got to do with taking on an academic program. But it's how we assess that baseline and who we apply it to. How much does it cost? These are all the things that I think end up annoying people. So we're talking today about uh, tests like IELTS or TOEFL. We want to hear from you. Have you ever had to take them? And uh, overall, what do you think of the standard of English in Malaysia? Do we use it well? Are we proficient? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note to 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Bombing frustrated minds. BFM 89.9. It's 6.47 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. And today we're talking about the standard of English in Malaysia, English proficiency, and where tests like the IELTS and TOEFL come in. We are asking you, have you ever had to take these tests? And what do you think of the standard of English in our country? You can call 7733-2900. You can send us a voice note at 018-789-8899. It's the same number to drop a WhatsApp and tweet us as well at BFM Radio. So I think the time has come to look at some of the the opinions about the level and quality of English being spoken in our country because there are a few people weighing in on this. Let's start with uh, Dennis, who says... Sometimes the country that wants us to speak proper English also cannot speak well. By and large, most Malaysians can speak good or at least passable English, but our standards have dropped dramatically these days and this has triggered the call for tests. I tend to agree, though, that it is more of a money-making exercise than being merely proficient. Um, so a few things. Firstly, um, the, the call for tests isn't new per se. I no, think it's, it's no. been happening for a number of years. And it has much less to do with what they actually think our standard of English is than, ha than it has to do with what countries they think don't qualify as native speakers, which is an important distinction to make. Um, but to your other point, our standards have dropped dramatically these days. Dennis, others agree with you. So Neil says, um, when I first came here 50 years ago, almost everyone spoke English. Today, hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, many people are saying that. Uh, let's see, we have TIDJ saying, I sat for the IELTS in late 2000s for a university admission. It was fairly simple. The only difficult part was the oral exam. The hall echoed. I find the proficiency of English amongst most Malaysians medium 
mediocre at best. I'm expressing a general opinion. I find the younger generation don't place the same importance on English fluency as my generation, the Xenials, aka the elder millennials, and the generation before mine. I wish more people speak proper English, and surrounding myself with those who speak Manglish has affected how I speak English. I mispronounce words like facade, nonchalant, homage for years. I only learned the correct pronunciation in uni when my lecturer taught us uh, to read the phonetic texts in dictionaries. Um, so I've heard people say that homage is correct. I know. I often struggle mm. whether it's homage or homage. Yes, yes. Um, but in general, um, there are other people uh, talking about English standards, but I wanted to respond to TIDJ. Do you agree with the generational point? I'm not sure, you know. Who was it earlier who says lang who said language evolves? English changes. Yeah, Wendy, that's right. And I I tend to think that might be the case. I think that's the case in most places. Also, if what we're comparing is um especially with a generation before the elder millennials who were educated in English, then of course there would be a difference. Hmm. So uh, there is definitely that. I think how you learn and what language you learn in determines how proficient you are at that langu- in that language as a whole. So that's firstly, uh, I think, absolutely you're right, something that affects how proficient you are. I also agree, honestly, that surrounding, pe- yourself, uh, surrounding yourself with people who speak English at whatever level they might speak at, whatever accent they might speak at, generally does change um, how well or otherwise you speak. But I don't know about the generation thing. I'm trying to think whether that's the case. I'm not sure that it is. I sometimes think there's a little bit of um, a little bit of that thing where you look back with rose-tinted lenses, and you know you might look at people who are prominent figures and then take them to mean take them to mean that that's indicative of the general standard. But again, I don't think that may have been the case across the board. Yes. Um, Also, I'm wondering how much the internet has factored into this and the way people speak online. I was going to say exactly that. I think the generational thing may have less to do with English standards dropping and more to do with the fact that the way we communicate also has changed. Right? Uh, That we're not speaking in proper full sentences all the time. um, People don't feel the need to write even words in full. Um, And lastly, on that point about mispronunciation, I, I think... I always remind myself that if you mispronounce a word, it's not a bad thing. It just means that you read it before you heard it, and that's fine. Um, Meanwhile, Meezy says, I don't consider myself a native English speaker because I still make grammatical mistakes every now and then, but my command of the language is comparatively better than my command of BM or the Cantonese dialect, which is my mother tongue. Uh, After all, I was told that I spoke English even in my sleep. Um, But the current level has been fast declining since Merdeka. Yes, we do need reading classes for any language subjects. It was a dreaded compulsory class back in the 1960s. Well, since Merdeka is telling, isn't it? Because that's when the British left. Yeah. Um, But I also wanted to say that actually native English speakers also make grammatical errors. They just make them more confidently. Yes. More on that a little bit later. But for now, let's head to the voice notes. Um, We have, let's see, first of all, this one from Vicky. I think in the Federate States of Malaya, English proficiency may be high, but not necessarily so in the unfederated states like the you know East Coast, North Coast, where the lingua franca is actually Malay. So uh, students uh, touch point with English is only during the English lesson. After that, it's all in Malay. Another thing to consider is the um, vernacular schools. 
some of Nicholas schools uh, do produce uh, students that speak good English, but not all. Uh, you know, Islamic schools, uh, the, they teach in Malay and perhaps Arabic, but English may not be taught there at all. So uh, we have to consider whom we are talking about in Malaya. Vicky, uh, thank you so much for that voice note and for the use of whom, uh, which is which is rare. Um, I, I think the question of distribution is an interesting one and one that was raised by our guest earlier as well, actually. It also goes back to, should English proficiency actually be a priority for everyone if it bears no relevance to the way you live your life and the things you choose to do? So the problem here, I think, is... Uh, the problem here, I think, is that it may not be relevant to you at 12. It may be very relevant to you at 22. Mm. And by then, it's a lot tougher for you to, to learn the language. Not because it's English, but just because learning any language is tougher when you're older. So I, I hear you. I take the point and I think that it's a very valid one. But it's hard to say at 12, um, you know, living in, an area where, living in an area where English is not commonly spoken, to say, well, I never want to study architecture in England. No, it is. I, I agree. And it's a complex question, right? Because then the comparisons are always made to countries like Japan or France, where many school kids only learn English as a second language and can't really use it to communicate as adults um, and then go, well, is that so bad if Malaysia might be the same? A couple of funny ones uh, that have come through. Azami says, I don't know that it's now called IELTS. When I set for the exam decades ago, it was called IELTS. I-E-L-T-S. Yes, that is what it's no, called. No, no, as in, I think that that's how it was pronounced. Oh. I-E-L-T-S. Oh, as opposed I to see. IELTS. Interesting. I've only heard IELTS. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to recover from this. <laughs> like, yes, indeed, that is how it's spelled. <laughs> I was so confused for a moment. Um, is this a generational shift in how IELTS was referred to? I don't think. I, I don't know. I've only ever known it as as. IELTS. <laughs> and similarly, I've only ever known it as, as TOEFL, um, partly Same. because T-O-E-F-L is so, so unwieldy. I, similar, it's, it's, I mean, if you suddenly spelled out U-N-E-S-C-O, I would be confused because people say UNESCO. I, I was struggling to keep up even in that moment. Uh, Solid Snake says, During the PKP, I saw my son's teacher teaching English in Malay. I've heard yeah. about this, actually. I've heard about this, particularly when um, we had the teaching of science in English um, and the fact that many teachers had to resort to teaching science in English in Malay. Okay, so here's the thing, right? Um, it's Is it a question of teaching ability or is it a question of knowing your audience? So it's, it's a few different things. Um, and, and that's exactly what I was going to say, that although this is sometimes viewed as a failure of the teacher, often it's because the children cannot keep up uh, if the languages, if the lesson is only delivered in English. Yes. And so if you're talking about translations being done or it's to ease the, the process of learning, I don't know that it's all that bad. I do think, though, that if it kind of stretches all the way through class, then it is a huge problem. Um, going back to that point about generational differences, Adli says, my kids literally say LOL when laughing, so go figure. <laughs> yes, I um, I first came across this when I had a housemate in Australia who would say lol, and I was horrified. And then now I think I might say it occasionally too. I say it ironically. <laughs> I do, like, well, I think, lol. but I'm not sure. Um, I know someone who used to say when they found something really funny. Ruffle? No. <laughs> Ruffle is one thing. But this person 
when they found something really funny, rather than laugh loudly, they would just say over and over again, ruffle a mow, ruffle a mow, like a chant. Oh, wow. I don't know how to brain that. Generational stuff, man. (laughs) It's it's a real thing. People don't consider it enough. I Okay, so Shurinder says, I and many people around me have serious problems mixing up pronunciations of British and American English, which I've realised in recent times. Many Malaysians grew up watching American TV shows and movies. They've learnt language that way on top of learning it in schools. Maybe not a big problem, but when I'm talking to native speakers at work, I feel quite self-conscious. I I hear you on this. Um, I came from a classroom, uh, or rather I learned with a teacher who was very relentless um, about British pronunciation and kind of stamped out every hint of butter or <laughs> and, you know, and just really like, it is not that, it is butter, you know. And so um, there, there you go with the Prima Deca learning. So I, I come from a background where that was just like, kicked out of the classroom. But I I think that this is a real problem overall. Um, I also find it quite amusing when we use Americanisms like things getting on my nerves or, you know, phrases that have very specific origins. Uh, Couch. 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 Xerox. Yes, people say things like like couch rather than sofa Mm -hmm. and and don't always recognize... Or the trunk of your car. Yeah, Mm -hmm. lift, elevator. So there are things like that. I don't think it's anything to be self-conscious about though. No, I don't think so. Honestly, I feel like a lot of this just comes down to as long as you can communicate you're fine. Mm -hmm. So we want to keep those thoughts coming. We want to know, have you ever had to take the IELTS or TOEFL or a similar assessment? Um, And what do you think of the standard of English in Malaysia? Is it worse now than it was? You can call 7733-2900, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be back after the 7 o'clock news with more of your messages and thoughts. Keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9. Bigotry Free Malaysia, BFM 89.9. It is 7.08. You're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. Uh, and in case you are just joining us, a quick recap. Today we're talking about English proficiency in our country and um, where IELTS and TOEFL and similar assessments entered the picture. And we're discussing this because um, it came up in yesterday's Breakfast Grill, in which British Council Chief Exec Scott MacDonald was asked whether it's fair for native English speakers to make the argument that the IELTS test is a money-making assessment. He said, yes, you could, but then there is still the question of whether Malaysia is considered a native English-speaking nation. So that's the question. Uh, We want to know whether you have had to take the IELTS or TOEFL. And what do you think of the standard of English in our country? Is it good? Is it bad? Has it deteriorated? You can call us, double seven double three two nine hundred. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can send a uh, voice note to zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Now um before we get to the messages, we did reach out to um, some folks to ask them what their experiences have been with the exams and what their thoughts are. So let's start things off with this uh, from Michelle Yasudas, who is a humanitarian policy advisor at an international NGO on the Thai Myanmar border. I am one of those people who did the IELTS about 10 years ago. I still will not stop talking about it because I personally find the requirements ignorant, classes, elitist, preposterous and oftentimes upholds many biases. First of all, ignorance. People often forget Malaysia is a British colony. Many of us already speak English at home and for people who do not, um, many do have good English teachers. And those who struggle can get help 
because I think Malaysia people don't give us enough credit for that. People have tried to make English and also learning Bahasa Malaysia accessible in our schooling system and also socially. On a personal note, I also come from a long line of English teachers who fed us a steady diet of English literature, poetry, and people often underestimate the penetration of the English language across the country, regardless of people's backgrounds. I found it personally preposterous because I finished my law degree, which was in English, which was from an English school. I also got straight A's on my A-levels, which is better than the King of England and also the future King of England. Apparently, they didn't do that well on their A-levels. My A includes English literature. So imagine then being told that I'd have to pay an enormous sum of money to prove that I can speak English. I had to write on the form that my first language is English. And yet here I am doing the IELTS exam. I had to pay so much money for it. I can't remember how much I paid for it, but I saved up, was doing my pupillage. And then they said that it will also expire. The validity of my cert will expire. So basically after two years, I'm not seen as a competent English speaker. I know, so what language am I speaking in now? That's another mystery. Another aspect is classicism. The only way many people from the Global South can access highly ranked English universities and not have our CV tossed at the bottom of the pile when you're competing on a global level with native English speakers. That's the term they use, by the way. So my takeaway is that my hope is that we we really move towards a more egalitarian approach towards the English language. It should not be used as a marker of intelligence in Malaysia, outside Malaysia. I acknowledge it opens doors for us, including me, I benefited from it. But also we should ask ourselves, like, would an ordinary person in England really do better than us on the IELTS exam? I don't know about that. And on that note, I think it's important to build accessible education institutions in Malaysia that does not view English as a language of superiority. We should also support um, local education institutions, emphasize the important roles that all languages can play, not just English, not just Bahasa Malaysia, but all languages are extremely important. And on that note, wishing everybody sitting for this arbitrary exam soon the best. And I truly hope a better solution will turn up soon and we'll figure this all out together. Thank you. That was Michelle Yasuda's humanitarian policy advisor at an international NGO on the Thai-Myanmar border. There are a number of really interesting points in there, I think, um, not least of which the, the issue of and this is something we raised earlier, the association of English with intelligence, which I think is something that we don't talk about enough. Absolutely. Um, I think it is one of those things, uh, like Michelle said, I've also personally benefited from. Um, and I have very mixed feelings about that association, not just of proficiency in any language, but specifically the proficiency in English as being more capable, uh, smarter, uh, more desirable in most positions. And I, and I think it is problematic because... What it is, is that it offers you access to information in a particular way. I don't think that necessarily means you're more intelligent or more capable. 
The thing about expiry um, is also something that a few people have raised. Let's start with this WhatsApp from OSK who says, I I can say I've been prevented from applying for overseas studies and financial aid because TOEFL or IELTS was required before applying and I couldn't afford it. Um, on the subject of Malaysian native English speakers, the truth is we have a lot of folks who learn English by binge-watching friends and perceive themselves as having native proficiency with a Californian accent, but are in fact of average proficiency. Despite that, universities do not require five-star proficiency, just good is enough, in which case TOEFL is definitely an unnecessary money grab. That's such a good point. Um, I go back to the, the let's say, the German equivalent, where language proficiency is very different from having to take a cert that you have to renew every two years. And I think um, that point uh, made earlier about also what course is it that you're applying for? How important is high levels of English proficiency, right? Uh, this question of access is also important, right? Because now we're hearing from people who actively could not apply for something because they couldn't afford to take this test. Um, I... I, by the way, just want to say that I agree that pop culture exposure does not equal uh, necessarily great proficiency, but that it is a fantastic way to learn a language, which which I'm sure that you're not saying it is not. Um, I'm just bringing it up. Oh, I, I think movies and TV shows do a lot. Songs. In, and songs do a lot in terms of helping people uh, hear words in ways that they may not otherwise know how to use in speech. Madiha says, I took IELTS once to apply for my master's, deferred enrollment because of unavoidable circumstances for more than two years, and then I had to retake it to reapply, but the price had hiked about 200 ringgit more. My marks were marginally better the second time around, but I'm not going to lie, I felt a bit ripped off. I've seen many rather pricey prep courses and textbooks and resources shared around in some higher study support groups as well. Ah, this is something that we haven't even touched on yet. Put aside the fact that the tests themselves cost that much, so many people spend so much money prepping for that test, paying tutors, buying study materials. So how can we make the case that this is a fair system to put people through? Um, we also have, let's see, some others making the point about, huh? is, is <laughs> after two years, is it gone? Um, so Chuan Jun says... So IELTS, I had to take it to continue my studies overseas. I just find it kind of sad. I speak English as my first language, while our education ministry with the highest allocation in the budget is unable to present to other countries that we also have some level of English comprehension without another timed expiry exam. Like we will magically forget a language after two years. That's exactly it. And and I think that the point made by the uh, exe uh, chief executive of the British Council, that this is something that we need to be taking up with, um, like immigration authorities, is a fair one. Um, Anwar says, I took IELTS to study abroad as well. That was six to seven years ago. Scored 7.5. Good enough to pass the engineering IELTS requirement for a university. Long story short, I haven't conversed in proper English for some years already. I think if I take IELTS now, the score will be lower. Lol. lol. You forgot the lol. lol. <laughs> Which is a big part <laughs> of today's conversation. I've heard this from people and you know, this is the truth about language. How often are you using it? But the point also is that does it matter if your spoken English has deteriorated? Should that mean that you can't get access into courses? Because that's what something like an IELTS or a TOEFL presupposes. Okay. Um, Eva, I'm not sure if it's Eva or 
Eva, let, let us know. But um, Eva says, I think the IELTS certificate should not expire. <laughs> Again, that's like saying your language skills will expire and you won't be able to speak after two years. But I think speaking proper English should be key. So, for example, using proper grammar and vocabulary rather than just saying you are or are not a native speaker. I've known native speakers who are poor in grammar. I would agree that English is widely spoken in Malaysia and in general, you get your point across, but we're, actually, we're usually not using it properly or correctly. Also, language evolving mostly refers to slang and new expression, the rules generally stay the same. It shouldn't be used as an excuse to accept poor use of English or grammar. I think that's a, that, I mean, that's a fair point, Eva. Um, I think, though, that, again, who is setting the standards and for what purpose is also important to talk about. Uh, proficiency can be measured in basic ways. Um, it also depends how, how proficient you have to be to be able to migrate to a country. Um, and these are all things that I think often can start feeling very loaded when it's imposed by a Western context to places like Malaysia. Yes. So I, I, I'm inclined to say, and I've said this on air before, that I think... In an official work setting, um, then yes, I agree that proper English, professional, quote-unquote, whatever that means in your workplace, uh, language should be used. Um, but in general, I am a big fan of as long as you're understood. Um, partly because I think sometimes this keeps people from practicing language and therefore growing in skill and confidence because they're constantly worried that they're not doing it, quote-unquote, properly. Um even though they are perfectly understandable. The other thing about language um, and rules that I think about often is to do with the preposition not being able to be at the end of a sentence, um, which sometimes results in people doing like crazy, just crazy gymnastics mm. and like like language yoga just to be able to avoid um, putting a two or a four at the end of a sentence. You know, like, what is that for? What for is that? You know, it's it's just at, at a certain point. That's anyway. Um, it, it just at a certain point, I think, has to make sense for how it's used in a modern setting. I agree. I also think, actually, that for a lot of cases, in this case, I'm thinking about employment, for instance, companies can administer tests in-house along with their interview process if the role requires proficiency in English. I think in asking people to go out and pay for a test that costs this much as a way to be able to apply for a job uh, can often feel very limiting because it excludes so many people. Keep those thoughts coming. We would like to know, um, have you had to take the IELTS or TOEFL or a similar assessment? And what do you think of the standard of English in our country? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send a voice note to 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Business, finance and music. BFM 89.9. It is 7.21 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. And we've been spending the last hour and a bit talking about the standard of English in our country, partly because, um, well, a conversation on the grill yesterday opened up the question of IELTS and its value um, and whether we are native speakers of English, which is a loaded term um, as we've kind of circled quite a bit. So have you ever had to take the IELTS or TOEFL or a similar assessment? And what do you think of the standard of English in our country? You can call 7733-2900, send a voice note to 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. So uh, like we said earlier, we've also been reaching out to people and asking them 
what their experiences have been. Um, and earlier we heard from Michelle Yasudas. Now we've got Kevin Bathman, uh, who is a creative producer. Hi, Shamala and Lynn. Um, I have so much to say about this topic. Um, firstly, I did my degree in New Zealand and subsequently a master's in the UK. Um, both times I had to do a compulsory arts exam and it was also required when I was migrating from New Zealand to Australia, even though I had studied, worked and lived in New Zealand already. So to me, this ALS exam is nothing but a scam and its implementation and reasoning behind ALS is nonetheless seen through a colonialist lens. Um, it doesn't matter if you've grown up speaking English all your life, um, but if your country of origin, i.e. your passport, is not from a European country, you will be required to do an ALS exam either for migration or for, future, uh, for further studies. Um, and also adding to the fact that this exam is only valid for two years. I mean, what is the reasoning behind this other than it being a money-making scheme? Like, I don't quite understand how you can successfully complete a degree, work for three years, and then when applying to do a further master's studies, you are then required to do another arts exam. So I find this completely hypocritical and capitalist in nature. That was Kevin Bathman, a creative producer. Uh, thank you so much for sending that through. So the the question of why it expires is one that we've circled quite a bit already. But I think that that example from Kevin really paints a picture. That and the fact that this is an experience that so many people have uh, echoed, right? Um, I have a degree that I did in an English-speaking country. I've lived and worked in an English-speaking country for years. Why is it that I still have to take this test? And uh, honestly, there haven't been great answers given. Uh, we also have another voice note that has come in. This is from Roberto. As you can imagine by my name, I come from a non-English native speaking country, which is Mexico. And uh, I agree with Sharmila because grammar can be complicated. But in the day to day for learning for all the stuff, you don't really need to understand the past participle and the different tenses. What you need to know is that how some words will sound when you pronounce them. Because I read a lot before I came to Malaysia. And interestingly enough, I never imagined how some words that I know by sound will be seen written. And it was super interesting. I think that you know that sometimes double O sounds like you like in food but in some other time on some other words it sounds like oh like in door so i think that is not just reading but also enunciation or pronunciation as you want to name it both things should be together uh, enhanced at the school syllabus i guess roberto thanks so much for that um i i I could not agree more. I also think that part of the joy of learning language is recognizing the exactly that, the way different vowels, different syllables are going to sound. And I don't know, I, I'm a language nerd, admittedly, so I find that interesting. Um, but I think that that's part and parcel of learning. It's part and parcel of learning. And in fact, it's exactly why things like IELTS and TOEFL annoy me and depress me, because they take away the joy of learning a language, the importance of conversation and familiarity, and turn it all into test scores. Uh, we have another voice note that's come in, uh, responding, I think, to something that was said earlier. This is AC Zeka. To say that Malaysians um, requiring 
IELTS testing is uh, is racist, classist, or whatnot is 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 patently ridiculous. Uh, it's just um, it's just taking on the victim mentality and just saying, oh, woe is me. Come on, we all know, especially the caller who has the many English teachers in her family, and we all know what Malaysia has taken as its stance on the official language, the flip-flopping between Malay and English. Um, we all know uh, what um, our Prime Minister Sabri um, told us recently, that all Malaysian politicians must speak in Malay. Um, so the global perception is that Malaysia speaks Malay, um, whether or not it's a former English colony or not, okay? It, it, does, it doesn't matter. The perception is that it speaks Malay. So therefore, yeah, it makes sense. They'd require us to take tests. That's just how it works. I mean, I went to school in the States and was required to take a foreign language and they didn't count Malay as a foreign language. I had to learn French. It's just what you have to do. And if you want it, you do it. That's how it works. Thank you very much for that. Um, I, so I think if you want it, do it um, is, is fair enough in that if you want to study abroad and it is a requirement do it, right, uh, for now. I think the question, though, is um, the deeper in the middle part of that message, which is whether or not the global perception is, in fact, that we do speak Malay um, constantly or that it's our only language and where the 11 years of school involving English come into the picture, I guess. And I am willing to concede that actually the standard of English is not the same across the country, across uh, different levels of speakers. But I think I go back to the point. Most people are not upset that there is a test of proficiency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most people are upset that that test expires and how expensive that test is and how that's applied even when there's ample evidence that the person taking that test can in fact function and communicate in English. So it's not so much a, I don't want to take this test, I want to be exempted. I think it's a, why are you setting these standards that are clearly very exclusionary? Uh, by the by, I'm so sad that we don't have time to read the uh, messages that have come in, all talking about how they found themselves in English-speaking countries and were surprised that their standard of English was better um, than what they found abroad. Because I think that that would be perhaps an interesting contrast to that point. Um, yeah, a number, of the, a number of the examples, in fact, I think circle the point uh, of whether people in these English-speaking countries could in fact pass the IELTS. Uh, very quickly, we have a voice note um, that's come in from Chiuming. Hi, this is CM here. Uh, well, talking about the quality of English uh, of Malaysian, well, uh, I have been asked by foreigners, uh, do you understand English? Wow, that certainly takes the cake. <laughs> All right, on that note, um, that concludes our English show on English um, <laughs> that we've been doing. Lots of comments. Uh, keep it here. After this on Popcorn Culture, we are going to be reviewing Imaginor. Um, you're listening to Inside Story, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.